This is 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Listen to God's word. <clears throat> Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds And glorify God on the day of visitation. Amen. All our flesh is like grass. All of our glory, beauty, and endurance is like a flower in a meadow. Grass withers. Flowers die. But the word of our Lord will stand forever. Amen. Amen. Let me ask you a question. What do you identify as? question has become perverted in our culture today, but it's an important question. I think it's a biblical question, actually. What do you identify as? What is your identity? Who are you? And I think, you know, as Christians, there's lots of things that we don't need to be reminded of. We don't need to be reminded of the way that God made us, male and female, the way that he made us in his image. But as Christians, we do need to be reminded of, of two identification reminders. We need two ID reminders, who we are and, and what we are. And this is, this is how Peter starts out um, this passage, this very first word, beloved. Now, this is basically a name, right? It's got a comma, which is marking the noun of address. He's addressing certain people, and he calls us beloved. This is a very strong, intimate word, right? It means love. I, I call Rachel sometimes love. Like, hey, my love, how, how are you? Are you feeling okay? And, and I bring this up because Peter, or Rock, as Jesus calls him, Rock is getting personal here. It's as if he's saying, hey, Rachel, love, do you know who you are? You're loved. This is how God views you. This is who you are. Hey, Mark, do you know who you are? Insert your name. Hey, beloved, do you know who you are? This is your identity. You're loved by God. Now, the question then obviously immediately follows, but, but why? Why would God love me, a sinner? How could God love me? Doesn't he know me? Doesn't he know all the things that I think and say and do? How could he possibly love me? And the answer is simple. It's because of our union with Christ. Because we are united to Jesus Christ, if we trust in him, as John Calvin says, the the Holy Spirit is the bond that unites us to Christ. And so if we're united to Christ, then God the Father loves you like he loves Jesus. That's insane. God the Father loves you like he loves Jesus, and it's who you are. Because of your union to Christ, you are loved. But then he goes on, to characterize not just who we are, but what we are in our current condition, our current state. Do you see this in the beginning of verse 11? Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. Now, love, I don't want you to forget who you are. You're loved, but don't forget what you are either. You're a pilgrim. You're an exile, right? You're an outsider. In other words, Rachel, love, you're loved, but you're also hated. You're loved more than you could possibly imagine by God. But you're also hated far more than we realize 
by the world. But why? Why would they hate us? Why would they hate us when we're just trying to love them? The answer is the same. Because of our union with Christ. Right? It's the same thing. The reason that God loves us, well, we don't really know why he chose to set his love on us, but in his good plan, his good counsel, and his infinite wisdom, he chose to unite us to Christ. And because of our union with Christ, God loves us. But because of our union with Christ, the world hates us. When we were on the mission trip a couple weeks ago, and I wore a, a bright red St. Louis Cardinals hat. And I, my dad played minor league ball for the Cardinals, and so I grew up a, a Cardinals fan. It's kind of part of who I am, I guess, uh, or what I am. But that same hat uh, got a lot of different reactions from the people there in Mexico. I got some, ah, oh, San Luis, San Luis. I got some, ah, oh, San Luis. The very same thing, that same hat that was accepted and loved by some was the object of scorn and hate and ridicule by others. And that's what our union to Christ is like. Because you are united with Christ, you're both loved and hated. And so the question comes, how are you going to respond? How are you going to respond to this? What are we going to do? And that's actually what Peter goes on to do. He says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. There's an urging. Uh, The word here is actually, I I paraclete you. I exhort you. I'm pleading with you. I'm encouraging you. There's There's a command here. So let's look at this command. Let's look at this response. If this is our condition of who we are and what we are, what are we to do? I'm pleading with you. Let's look at this from two perspectives. There's a negative and a positive. The first, the negative. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, what? To abstain from the passions of the flesh. And this abstaining means not doing, but it, it has a, a, very, a very specific connotation here. It has the connotation of having enough of something, to get fed up with it. Rock is telling us, get fed up with the passions and the lusts and the desires that wage war against your soul. We need to look at these desires that want to steal our joy, that want to kill us, that want to rob us, that want to destroy us, and we need to say, I've had enough of that. I don't want any more of that lifestyle. These passions that are coming from within me, I don't even want them anymore. Abstain from the passions of the flesh. But now he's not just talking about all of your desires, all of your passions, all of your longings, all of your wants. This is a very specific thing here in view. Which ones? The passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Okay, so how do you know if a passion that you have, if a desire that you have, is it godly or is it something from your sinful flesh? Well, it's really simple. Is it in accordance with God's word? Love God and do what you want. Is it in conformity with the the moral law, the Ten Commandments, as we've been going through morning by morning each Lord's Day, the last seven or eight Lord's Days? Is it in conformity with God's word? And if it is, then go for it. But these desires, he's being very specific, the desires which wage war against your soul. This word, wage war, we actually get our word strategy from this. These desires are strategizing against us to kill us, to destroy our souls. That's the negative aspect. Don't do this. Get rid of these things. 
don't fall into this temptation. Don't do this. But the positive then is even more specific, perhaps. Look at this. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles, the world, the nations, honorable. Now, this word conduct is a great word. And Matthew Henry actually translates this as conversation. He, he thinks that speech is the important action of conduct in view here. And I think it's, you know, it's both end. But I bring that up because what Matthew Henry is pointing out is that conversation is a very, very important aspect of our conduct among the nations, among the world. We have conversations with people all the time. And this is important because this is a reminder that fellowship is not just hanging out. You know, not all conversations are fellowship. Now, talking about football, talking about the St. Louis Cardinals, these are great things, right? These are gifts from God, and it's right to talk about these things, right? These are passions that are not against God's word. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it's fellowship. Fellowship is bearing one another's burdens, encouraging one another in the Lord from God's word, praying with one another, praying for one another. This is, this is fellowship, and our our conversation, our words, need to be monitored very closely, both with believers and unbelievers. Unbelievers listen to believers. They hear the words that they're saying. They process them. They think about them. So we want to make sure that whatever we're saying in our conversations, in our fellowship, that our words and our deeds, our actions, are honorable. Why is this so important? This is who we are We are loved and accepted, redeemed by the blood of the Lord. We're also hated because of that. We're pilgrims. This is what we are. And so our call then is to act on that, to get rid of these old lusts, these passions that would seek to kill and to rob us of joy and to destroy us, and to positively Think in such a way that's honoring the Lord. Speak in such a way that's honoring to the Lord. And act in such a way that's honoring to the Lord. Why is this so important here? Why is it important for us to remember in order to do these things? Peter gives us a very specific answer. He says, so that. Why? So that when they speak against you as evildoers... They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Let's look at that first part for just a second. When they speak against you as evildoers. They're going to call you evil. They call us evil. The world does this. It seems seems asinine to us. And so we'd like to just ignore the fact that this happens. But the world, the godless, God-hating sinners, wicked, evil pagans, they look at Christians and they say, that's just wicked what you're doing. Right? They love to have slogans like, love wins, or love triumphs. You know, even though the Christians would want to try to destroy love, as they just completely redefine what love is. They try to redefine marriage and all these institutions from God. But it's important to remember, you're going to get called evil for being a Christian. Don't let that trick you. Uh, the ESV, um, the, the Reformation Study Bible, has a helpful note here. Uh, it talks about the, the things that were going on in first century Christianity, right? They were being called wicked. They, would, they were being accused of disloyalty to the emperor. 
They were being called lawbreakers, right? People will tell you today, you hate America because you're a Christian. Call us haters, troublemakers. They say we're intolerant of other people. That's the first thing to remember, so that we're ready for it when it comes our way. If you want to remember who you are, if you want to remember what you are by virtue of your union with Christ, and you want to be able to act on that and to be able to say no to the passions of the flesh, you want to be able to say yes to having honorable speech and conduct, if you want to be able to do that, then you've got to remember that this is coming. right? The flaming darts of Satan are going to be coming. And if you don't know that, then it's going to be an ambush. But if we're prepared for it, then we can remember this and we can say this, and there's another thing we need to remember. They're going to call you evil. But this, and this is great, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. They will give God the glory. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, as Mr. Neil Harris said in Sunday school this morning, either now or when Jesus returns, everyone, everyone, past, present, future, will give God the glory. This is an interesting little phrase here. Um, We'll glorify God on the day of visitation. Uh, And again, the Reformation Study Bible has a very helpful note here. God's visitation is his drawing near either for judgment or for mercy. It's very simple. God's visitation is his drawing near either for judgment or for mercy. So you see, God will receive the glory he deserves. He will receive the glory for damning the unrighteous, and he will receive the glory for having mercy and love and grace on the righteous in Jesus Christ. And God's glory is his holiness going public. So there's not going to be a corner of the earth where people still pretend to be atheists. His glory will extend to every corner of the earth. So the question is, will you be a part of that this week? Are you ready to act on the sermon that we heard this morning to share the gospel? We don't have this limited amount of grace that we we can't share with everybody or we'll run out of it. It's an infinite, unsearchable, untraceable wealth of grace in Jesus Christ. So distribute it to everyone. Are you ready to be a part of that this week? Here's how. Simply remember what Jesus has done for you. Think on it. Dwell on it. Meditate on it. Read it in God's word. Memorize God's word. Think about what Jesus has done. Trust in Jesus for your salvation and him alone. He took the damnation that we all deserve if you trust in him so that you and I could be blessed. And that's the good news. So go tell everyone you can about it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this good news, this reminder. Thank you for giving us the heads up that the earth, our own flesh, our own skin, and Satan seek to attack us. They want to rob us of our joy. They want to wage war on our souls. Thank you for your word. We ask that you would help us to remember that this week. Help us to remember that every knee will bow when we get discouraged. 
If we get scared or don't know the right words to say, help us to remember that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Give us the bold confidence, as we heard about being read from Acts this morning, the, the, the parousia, the bold confidence that was given to the apostles to proclaim your word, filled with the Holy Spirit. Lord God, would you give us the grace to do that this week? Give us the grace to share with others the marvelous news of what you have done for us and how you have changed us and you have made us loved and accepted because of our union with your Son, our Lord, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.